Morning. So uh, today a story for the ages, literally. Story, an Easter story. It's my favorite Easter story because the experience of this Easter story is closer to my spiritual biography because it's a story about running away from love and grace and mercy, which is something we're all capable of. I'm particularly capable. In fact, I've been practicing running for a long time. I remember I was about four and a half or five years old. I grew up down in Tacoma, and my parents had taken me and my sister downtown in Tacoma to this big place called the Medical Arts Building, and it smelled like medicine, blood draws, and shots, you know, injections. And I was being brought in to do this whole battery of childhood injections. Now, I must admit, back when I was a child, a normal syringe had a needle on it the size of a coat hanger. But still, not a good reason to run. And here I'm being protected against diphtheria, tetanus, smallpox, TB, all this stuff, right, that's going to happen. Well, my parents are taking me into the medical arts building, and I've always dreaded this kind of stuff, and I just freaked out. And as a four-year-old, I turned and hightailed it. I went out the door, I ran into St. Helen Street during afternoon traffic, causing several cars to test their braking system, with my dad running after me, <clears throat> and um, I almost got away, but I didn't quite make it. <laughs> my dad nabbed me a couple yards downrange. And you know what? The throttling I got was way worse than a shot. Um, it's, it's amazing. You run and you get worse than you had coming to begin with. Anybody relate to that? We, we, we have a tendency as human beings to blanch and run, and we do it for silly reasons and at great cost at different times, right? So I want to read a story. It's the story about how some people just like you and me encountered the first experience of the resurrection. They weren't the people that went running to Jesus' grave to try to find him. They weren't the people that went running to tell everyone that Jesus had rose from the dead, full of wonder. These were good old-fashioned people like me that were just full of dread and running for their lives. We're going to take a trip down the Emmaus Road this morning from Luke 24. The same day, two people were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they talked, they discussed these things with each other, and Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing it. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you're walking along? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked Jesus, are you, the, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened in these days? What things, he said. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and the rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what's more, it's the third day since all of this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they'd seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. And he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? And beginning with Moses 
and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us. It's nearly evening. The day's almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began to give it to them. And their eyes were opened. They recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned once again to Jerusalem, where they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Lord, you would think for all your love and grace and mercy, we'd be in a restless and relentless pursuit of you. But God, the reality that you present is sometimes overwhelming for us. It's frightening for us, all the control and excuses that we lose to stand in the truth of your presence sometimes cause us to shudder and run for all the wrong reasons, without all the right emotions. God, will you spot each of us in the places where we're running? Will you open our eyes to who you are? Will you warm our cold hearts and souls that we might warm this world in which we live? We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a common trade route out of Jerusalem, and it goes from Jerusalem, which is in the, in the mountains in, in the ancient Near East, and, and still located there, by the way, hasn't moved. And, um, and so you go out of the mountainous region that's Jerusalem, and you start going toward the Mediterranean Sea, which is about 30-some miles away. And, and about a quarter of the way, maybe, is this town called Emmaus. And it was a common stop on this trade route. And it was, it was a direct route out of town. So basically, what, what we see here, seven and a half miles outside of Jerusalem, is this intense story where these people that had witnessed what went on during what we call Holy Week, during the passion, the death of Jesus Christ, and the comments of the resurrection, and, and the stories of the resurrection beginning to build, even though they'd heard that Jesus had risen, these two turned and hightailed it. So if the action's here... They did what a lot of us would do, and they headed there, post-haste. And they're trying to save themselves by running from God himself. By the way, it didn't work for me at the medical arts building, and all my attempts to run away from God have not been successful. Thanks be to God. But I'm, I'm still prone. Are you prone to run? Do you have some things that spook you or uh, uh, bring things up in you that, that make you want to run from the very love and grace and mercy that you want and need to this ambiguous place of self-protection that really doesn't have very much to offer. These two travelers are a lot like us in a lot of ways, and there's a lot to learn here. All of us who profess belief in Christ, I think, run from him on some occasions or on many occasions. And I bet I can nail down the reason we, I can nail down the reason you run, boy, that's accusatory, isn't it, to four things. And I know the four things that make you run because they're the four things that make me run. You ready? Fear, guilt, shame, control. 
To me, that's the big four. Now, there may be some subcategories under that, but almost everything that causes us to run is fear of the unknown or fear of a loss of control. A lot of times it's guilt and shame. I think I'm too bad of a person to be able to apprehend grace and mercy and live in it. I have done things wrong and I feel guilty and I just can't face God. I'm, I'm not a good enough person. You know, I pray, but I don't think my prayers even get out of my skull. We all have these kind of excuses that we run. Fear, shame, guilt, and control. And those are all ways that we try to avoid yielding to God and save ourselves. And it's as silly as this. Of course, four-year-olds don't have any judgment, but I think as adults, a lot of us behave like four-year-olds. And as a four-year-old, you can't comprehend what it would be like to get smallpox or diphtheria. Sarah's a, is, is a, a, a kitty doctor. Diphtheria would be bad, right? Pretty bad. Typhus, pretty bad. Are any of those things good? Tuberculosis, bad on a kid, right, TB? My English mother's fiancé during World War II died from tuberculosis. That's how my mom came to be with my father. So the, these things are severe, and a little poke in the arm is nothing compared to this. But we tend to run from the very thing that will make us well, and that's the truth and reality of God. Okay? And no matter where we run, the great news is that Jesus is pursuing us in the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I've, I've thought many times about this passage, the sermons you can come up with, uh, titles, you know. A lot of, I, I know a lot of pastors have come up with great titles, but bad sermons. And I've never been able to do good titles. I hope the sermons are okay. Um, but, you know, it, you can run, but you can't hide. Or run as long as you want. Or I can run faster than you. So can the Holy Spirit and the Father. We got you surrounded. You know, I mean, what, <laughs> what, there's a lot of titles for this text that we keep reliving. We live in a constant Emmaus road situation. And Jesus wants to somehow calm our crazy hearts and our fearful minds and our anxiety and say, stop your running. I'm here for you. And are you tired yet? I, I wonder if my dad wouldn't have gone after me. I probably got squashed by a car, but if my dad wouldn't have come after me, eventually I would have turned around and come back, right? Have you ever seen an emancipated four-year-old? <laughs> it, it just doesn't happen. Okay? Now, sometimes we won't approach the Lord. Sometimes we won't approach the things that are good for us. So he approaches us and tackles us from behind. An NFL Seahawks-style hug. Pardon me, I had to put one in for the team. We had a rough year this last year. Okay. If you observe the part of our story where Jesus breaks bread and they recognize him, you realize on the spot that we don't always partake, partake in the sacraments of God. Sometimes the sacraments take us. We don't always find the Lord. The Lord finds us more often. We don't always catch up to God. We don't run after God. We tend to run from God, but God catches us from behind. My, um, my conversion story to Jesus is a story of, of running. Many of you heard it. I got drugged to a Young Life meeting when I was 17 years old. I, rolled it by, I was told I had to take my sister. My dad would beat me up. Um, and um, I rolled a couple of joints and was going to drop my sister off at this Young Life meeting, and I got trapped in a cul-de-sac. I wound up going into a meeting, and I heard about Jesus, and God totally tackled me from behind. Ruined my life from the direction I was trying to ruin it. Okay? 
And, and grace captures us. Jesus captures us. Mercy captures us. And Jesus walks alongside us runaways, just like the disciples. And they receive a lot of information. This, is, this really strikes me. Jesus teaches them, starting with the Old Testament story of the Law and the Prophets, all the way through to the Jesus story. And they have data themselves. Well, we heard from this person and this person. You see how much you can know about God and not know him? Right? And, and data never changes us. But a relationship does. And when these people encounter Jesus face to face and see him for who he is, that's what interprets all the data they've received and make it make sense. It's actually faith seeking reason, not reason bringing someone to faith. By the way, this text really does show us how little explanations have in the way of making its whole. You know, we always want explanations, but the true nature of the Messiah can't be understood except by a faith relationship with him. It's in the relationship with him when he comes to us and our eyes are open and we see him for who he is, that we're changed. And I, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm actually a theologian. I've read a lot of books. I've studied a lot of theology. I like theology. I just realize it's horrible limitations. Okay? Because one minute of a revelatory moment with Jesus by the Holy Spirit has more power than a lifetime full of study and Bible studies and notes that go this deep and this high and this wide. The two on the Emmaus Road heard about Jesus from others, but they had issues. They didn't see him themselves. They, Jesus didn't take down Rome like he wanted him to. They lacked absolute proof. They wanted the safety of the comfortable, the old and familiar. How about you and me? We cling to comfortable and safe pretty easily, right? Um, it's pretty easy for us to want to return to sort of the childhood faith of a flannel board and pasting cotton balls on a lamb and, and all that stuff and, and, and remember kind of a religious history. But it's the relationship in this moment that has meaning. Relationship rules. Jesus took the bread and he broke in it. And they suddenly recognize this informed stranger as the Lord of life, the author and creator of life, the firstborn of the, of the fruits of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus broke bread and took the cup on the evening of his arrest, he summarized his nature for people, his mission, and the need for all to come to him, to his body and blood, to, made whole, to be made whole, to be saved, to have an encounter with God and a direction in life. And this one-time ritual on the night in which Jesus was betrayed was so powerful that it resonates through all time and eternity and repeats itself when we come to this table as one of the touch points of grace. This is a, this is a place where we encounter the very grace of God, the presence of Jesus in an intense way. This is a little bit of an Emmaus Road experience for us. We, we look at bread and we look at a cup and then we open our hearts to Jesus. We come forward to that bread and cup. And, and in that, we receive a tangible element of the grace of God that reminds us that Jesus for us, in us, and with us is an encounter, not a data set. 
The Lord's Supper is an absolute connection to Jesus and everything he is and everything he's done for us. The, the, the Lord's Supper is God coming across time and space and placing us in the midst of a, of a divine act that's so great it holds weight for all time. In the Lord's Supper, an otherwise unknowable God comes to us and wraps us in a hug. Uh, Dale Bruner, I, you've heard me say before, one of my favorite theologians, has written the definitive uh, commentary on the book of Matthew and the book of John, really, in the New Testament. And he says that the, the, the sacraments, the Lord's Supper, is God's hugs for us. This is where God embraces us in our running and holds us. This is Chuck Rowland catching Randy Rowland and gracing him instead of throttling him. Boy, I wish my dad would have thought of that. Okay. <laughs> the remarkable ending to this story is that no matter how hard we run, God catches us, and we have this reestablished fellowship that somehow changes us and transforms us, makes us willing to drop what we were doing, to face our fears, to face our guilt and shame and our need to control and go beyond those and receive the embrace of God and live in that day in and day out. Wherever you've been running, you're caught. You've been cut off at the pass. Whether you're on your way to the beach, <laughs> on your way to the mountains, wherever it is, Jesus intercepts us. And you know, there's a wonderful thing we can do when that happens. Say, Lord, what do you have for me? What do you want me to know about you today as I come to this place? Lord, what do you have to say in the very depths of my being this morning about who I am, why I'm here, and where I'm going? Speak to me in this moment, because I'm listening, and I realize that I'm caught. As we come to the Lord's table this morning, give yourself an opportunity to be caught by grace and mercy in unlimited measure. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your table today, we are so grateful that you are alive, alive with us and alive in us, that the wisdom and truth and reality of God and kingdom are laid out before us to receive. Lord, this morning, as we come to you humbly, Gather us to yourself. Lord, speak to us louder this morning than our fear. Speak to us louder than our guilt, louder than our shame, and way, way louder than our silly attempts to control our world and control our lives. We yield to you in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus Christ, when he had given thanks, took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. In the same manner after supper, when he had given thanks, he took the cup, said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Whenever you take this bread and drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me, in relationship with me until I come again. Brothers and sisters, 
Happy Easter. Come to the Lord's table. Be refreshed, be renewed, be caught. Katie Honig is going to be our elder on duty this morning to serve with me. I do want anybody to know that has issues with celiac. This bread is gluten-free and safe for all. If you have any mobility issues, please do stay in your seat and we'll come serve you. Otherwise, please come to the front and we'll receive the Lord's Supper this morning. The gifts of God for the people of God.